0: To the book of Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse five. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let me read it one more time. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word because it's life to us. We ask you to have your way in this place today. God, let me decrease so you can increase. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll speak through us today and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning on the vow. Would you say that with me, the vow? The word vow here simply means a promise uh, that we've made that when we promise something, we make a vow. Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever made a promise that you wished you hadn't? Anybody wave your hand if you ever made a promise you wished you hadn't made? So here, this is what the Scripture is saying. It's better for you not to vow. It's better not, not to promise than to Promise and not be able to or to vow and then not fulfill it it's not talking about a physical bill that's paid although that's true too you shouldn't borrow. I mean you, you don't borrow money that you can't pay back and don't buy something you don't have money for <laughs> that kind of messes with our lifestyle doesn't it when I was doing mission work in Russia I was talking to them and I, they could not, they had no such thing as credit over there. So they had to save their money up for years to be able to buy a car. And then if they got the money saved, that still didn't mean they could get the car. They had to put their name on a waiting list. And usually it was on that waiting list for five years before their name would come up to get a car. How many of us would have walked here today if that had been the case for us? So there's, there's some truth in this about it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Don't make a promise you can't keep. Proverbs put it this way. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, starting with the first verse, this is in the message. It says, dear friend, If you've gone into hock with your neighbor or locked yourself into a deal with a stranger, if you've impulsively promised the shirt off your back and now found yourself shivering out in the cold, friend, don't waste a minute. Get yourself out of that mess. You're in that man's clutches. Go put on a long face. Act desperate. Don't procrastinate. There's no time to lose. Run like a deer from the hunter. Fly like a bird from the trapper. Makes it pretty plain, doesn't it? Get out of that mess. I, I'm not going to, I don't want to dig too deep here, but you know, if people ask you to, th- this is what it's saying. He said, look, if, if you, if you co-sign for a loan for somebody you don't even know, you lack a few bricks carrying a whole load. If, 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 you, if you put yourself in a position where all of a sudden now you're in the clutches of somebody else, he's saying, look, this is no time for pride. Swallow your pride and go get delivered from that. When we vow to be someone's friend, we need to do it with both eyes open. How many of you have ever had a friend that got you in trouble? Anybody? That light's in my eyes, can't see. <laughs> Is that friend sitting? No, I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> so if you've ever had a friend that got you in trouble, I remember when I was a young man, well, I'm not old now, but when I was a kid, I was, uh, I, I was at an amusement park with a friend of mine. And that friend of mine was in a store, and he was, he was in this store. You know, they had all these, you know, hats and souvenirs and all this stuff in the store, in you know, in the amusement park. And I walked in there, and I was checking on him, and he's trying to shoplift something. And I'm—I'm I'm, I'm looking at him and say, "Hey, watch for me, watch for me." I thought you watch for yourself. I got out of that store. I wasn't going to get sucked into that trap. Well, what kind of friend are you? I'm the kind of friend that had to bail him out after he got caught. So you've got to be careful where you make a promise and how you make a promise. How many of you know that sometimes promises can get you in trouble? And sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by trouble that's not of our own making. Have you ever been there? A... Family that I knew, they had uh, four children at the time. And the dad got sent to prison for stealing. The mom, which had no job, was left to try and raise these four kids. And one of those kids had to be farmed out because she couldn't Take care of them. She found herself having to try and make the best of a bad situation. Have you ever been there where you had to make the best of a bad situation? Careful when you pledge something. I bought a vacuum cleaner one time. How many of you have ever heard of Kirby? (laughs) Wonderful vacuum cleaners. Did you know those vacuum, you can paint a house with that vacuum cleaner. I'm not making this up. You could paint a house with that vacuum cleaner. You could build a house with that vacuum cleaner. It had a little jigsaw that hooked up to the motor on it. And the man came in and he, he, he vacuumed a part of the trailer I was renting at the time. And man, he pulled up all kinds of dirt. And you know, And I thought, wow. And he said, so all you got to do is sign on the dotted line. Well, I signed on the dotted line. I knew I had three days to void the contract. I signed on the dotted line. I was 18 years old at the time. Just so I get things in perspective. I don't want anybody thinking this happened last week. <laughs> so I signed on the dotted line. And he, he, he gave me that vacuum with all those apparatuses. I'm going to paint it. I'm going to build things. Do you ever know all those apparatuses you never use? You know, they just sit in the closet and collect dust. You never use those. And so all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I went and I, my, my future mother-in-law had a rainbow vacuum cleaner. So I love experiments. So I put the rainbow up against the Kirby. And the Kirby didn't win. And, and, and so, and then I did some research. I called a Kirby dealer. Did I tell you how much I paid for that vacuum cleaner? Back then, 18, when I was 18, that's been more than five years ago. I paid $1,200. Well, let me say it this way. I promised to pay $1,200. So I called up a Kirby dealer And I said, hey, do you have, Then I gave the model number, do you have this vacuum cleaner? He said, yes, I do. I said, how much is it? He said, I can let you have that for $150. I said, say what? $150? Yes, I can let you have it for $150. So I packed up my Kirby and I went down to the vacuum cleaner store and I... Turned it in. He said, well, what's wrong? I said, well, I, I, I don't want to pay that much for a vacuum cleaner. And I, I, I checked it out against a rainbow. And the rainbow did better. And, well, there's no way a rainbow did better. I said, look, I just, wanna, I, 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 I just don't want to pay for this. He said, what would you say if I let you have this for $400 today? I looked at him. I said, I'd say you're still making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so bottom line was I pledged. And I had to break the pledge. Thank God I did it before the three days was up. Turn around, look at your neighbor and go, whew. My mother made a pledge one time to buy encyclopedias. How many of you ever been there before? My father was not home at the time. The man got her to sign on the dotted line. The guy came back and my dad said, we don't want any encyclopedias. And the guy smirked at him and said, well, it's a little too late, sir. Your wife's already signed on the dotted line. He said, could I look at that? He handed it to him and dad ripped it up and said, I don't think it's too late. (laughs) He was not a happy camper. Everybody say, whatever it takes, takes. get out of it. That's what, that's what. The proverb said, don't, don't find yourself in that situation. But sometimes we find ourselves in a situation that's not of our own making. That lady had to try and raise those children on her own. One of the most serious vows you're ever going to take in your life is your marriage vows. Somebody say that. I got an amen from Danny. That's serious stuff. Amen. There must be a y'all making me a little nervous because some of you act like you're not real happy. (laughs) Okay. Marriage vows are serious stuff. There's a there's a story of a lady in scripture that found herself in a situation where she's committed to a vow that was not her own choosing. You say, what do you mean, not her not own choosing? You have to understand something. In biblical times, the woman didn't get to choose. The father chose. And so the father made the arrangement for this marriage ceremony, and it's one of the most unlikely couples you're ever going to find in your life. The lady's name is Abigail. Abigail? Abigail? I want you to follow closely to the description of this. As a matter of fact, Abigail, just if you would stand right here. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 2 to 3. And there was a man in Mahon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. Nabal? Come on out. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and of beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was the house he was of the house of Caleb. So I need you to stay here with me a second because these names have meanings. And I want you to get the meanings of these names. When it came to Abigail, it said that she was of good understanding. That means that she was intelligent. She was wise and she was discreet. She was also humble because she's not bragging about it, right? And the Bible said that she was of beautiful countenance. Now check this out. The Talmud, which is like a commentary on the Torah. It's it's the historical comments of rabbis on the Torah. The Talmud talked about four women that were of extraordinary beauty in the world. It mentioned their beauty was surpassing. They had surpassing beauty in all the world. The first one was Sarah. That's why when she's 90 years old, there's still people trying to get her away from Abraham. Sarah, Rahab, Esther, and Abigail. So she's not just, you know, a good looking young lady. She's a knockout. Everybody says she's a knockout. Yeah, knock <laughs> Did you like that part? <laughs> now let's talk about. We, we, we understand Abigail. She's wise, she's discreet, she's intelligent, and she looks good. Now let's talk about Nabal for a second. Nabal's name, his name literally comes from a word that means stupid wicked, foolish, and vile. That word comes from a word that means a disgrace and dishonor. He ain't got a lot going on for him, folks. The scripture said that he was a churlish man. The word churlish means severe, cruel, grievous, hard-hearted, obstinate, stubborn, and evil. Well, it's obvious how these two got together. One of the other things that Abigail's name means that I didn't mention is it means that she brought her father joy. Her name's a combination of two words. One means father and the other means to bring joy. So she brought her father joy. So I've wrestled with this. I've I've tried to figure out if she brought her father such joy. Why did her father arrange a marriage with this man? I don't know if Nabal had something on Abigail's father. I don't know if Abigail's father found himself between a rock and a hard place and was strapped for cash. But to unite them, Together, So I can see that marriage ceremony, if you two would. As they stood to be joined to one another, the rude, wicked, foolish man to the beautiful, intelligent young lady. I pondered something. As a matter of fact, we're going to Before we do the ceremony, I need to ask a question. Is there anyone here that knows of any reason why these two should not be joined in holy matrimony? Let them speak now or forever hold their peace. Really? (laughs) See, every one of you ought to be jumping up right now and going, get him away from her! But that's the problem, is sometimes when we ought to speak up, we stay silent. Sometimes when we ought to rescue, we turn away. Would to God there'd been somebody to rescue her there that day. Give them a hand, would you? Thank you, guys. So there's nobody. I, I, I was waiting to see if there'd be some response. I saw somebody in the back waving their hand. I think that was Natalie back there. Is that Natalie? Natalie? I saw that waving her hand like this, but nobody spoke up. I didn't say if there's anybody here, wave at me. I said, if there's anybody here that knows any reason why these two should not be joined together, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. So we don't say anything when we know that what's getting ready to happen the promise that's getting ready to be made, the vow that's getting ready to be taken is going to end up in pain and heartbreak. Somebody ought to have enough courage to step up and say, wait a minute, there's a better way for you. There's a better life for you. Man, every one of you act like you had a shotgun wedding here. (laughs) So she finds herself in a place that was not of her own choosing. Well, pastor, how do you know that she didn't want to? I'm going to show you, as I, I'm going to share her story with you. And as this story unfolds, you're going to hear it from her mouth, not mine. But you're going to hear what she thinks of her husband from her own lips. And so Nabal, he's got all these bad traits. He, he doesn't control himself. He's, he's a man that's given to his own whims, but he is a wealthy man. Everybody say he's got a lot of wealth. Oh. Have you ever met somebody that wouldn't have a friend in the world if it wasn't for the fact that they had a lot of money? You know what I'm talking about? Do you ever see people when you were going to school that sucked up to the kids that always had money in their pocket? Hey, you want to go get a soda? You want to go get a and so, you, you are the cat's meow. For those of you that do not understand that type of language, that means you're really something. So, you are the cat's meow as long as you've got money in your pocket. But let that money run out and find out where your friends are. It was a lesson that was hard learned by the prodigal son. He had all kinds of friends as long as he could afford the party. But the day he couldn't flip the bill for the party, all his friends were gone. You need to make sure that who you're connecting yourself to, who you're joining yourself to, is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that's going to be there no matter what's going on. Make sure that when you vow, you vow wisely. And so, Nabal has 3,000... Sheep, he's got a thousand. Let me get up here and find out for sure. I don't want to give him something he doesn't deserve. Says <laughs> so, so he's got 3,000 sheep and he's got a thousand goats and it's sheep shearing time. Everybody say this is when you make the bucks. I had a friend, I, I, when I was traveling and doing revivals, I had a friend that raised Angora goats and he would hire shearers to come in and shear these goats. And man, he made, what was that stuff called? Mohair? Anybody? Angora. Thank you. A- Angora. Where did I get mohair from? So, th- so th- this, he, he, he got paid big money for the hair on these goats, which I don't understand. Have you ever smelled a goat? It's not like I want to walk around smelling like a goat. And, and so he got big money from, from these goats' hair. And, and so it's a, it's a huge payday for him. It's a huge payday for Nabal. And Nabal's men had been watching these sheep and goats for a long time. And, and out in the field, what he wasn't aware of is that David and his 600 men were camped in that field where all of his goats and sheep were and where his servants were. Now, these were, see, sometimes we read that and we don't get it. The Bible said that the men that joined themselves to David were in despair. They were discontent and they were in debt. These were desperate men. For David to have the type of control that could keep those hungry men from laying their hand on one goat or one sheep means one thing, that they had a very healthy respect for David and they would not go against his word. David was a man of integrity. And so David kept these men from harming those sheep. He also kept other bandits from harming those sheep. Because if they'd just been in that open field, anyone could have rode in and stolen and killed. But not with David's mighty 600, they're not. And so when it's sheep shearing time, it's a time of festival. It's a time of great activity and picnic. It's like a barbecue in Texas. You don't just put one pork chop on the grill. Go to... 17th street today and look at what they have on a table. They don't have one pork chop on Sunday. They got a pig laid out there on that table. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you been down there on Sunday? There's a whole hog laid out on that table. And you just go up and pick what piece you, no, you don't get to do that, but there's a whole hog out there. So in Texas, man, they, they, they I mean, the whole cow, the, the whole hog, everything is in that barbecue. When it came to sheep shearing time, they had an abundance of food. Everybody say abundance. So David sends a couple of his men down there and he says, you go down to Nabal and tell him that his servant David or his son David, he He doesn't say his Lord David or his commander David or the man that killed Goliath, that David. He doesn't do that. He humbles himself. And he says, tell him that his son David has been out there with his sheep and his herd and that the entire time that we've been out there, there's not been one sheep that went missing or one goat. Tell him he can... Ask his servants, and they'll verify it. And so give him my blessing and tell him that I send peace and prosperity to his house. And ask him, tell him, it's a good day. It's a a day of feasting. It's a, a day of barbecues. He knew that it was sheep shearing time. And he's saying, so just if you would send whatever you can to your servant and his men. He didn't demand food. He asked food. He didn't demand that they give. He asked that they give. And look at Nabal's response. Nabal turns around, and this is what Nabal says concerning David. David. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from their master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Do you realize what an insult that is? Everybody knew who David was. Even the Philistines, David's enemies, acknowledged who he was. They said they sang songs about Saul killing thousands, but about David, they sang about him killing And They respected him. They respected what he could do on the battlefield, and they did not want him on the battlefield against them. Even... His enemy respected him. But this man showed no respect. A man of Israel that should have honored David. A man that should have known something about David. Well, what's that got to do with us? How many times do we turn our back on a God that's kept us, that's been there for us, that's taken care of us? Even David's own, or Nabal's own men ran to Abigail and they said he was a wall of protection to us both day and night. But Nabal is too obstinate to admit it. He doesn't even recognize the blessing of God in his life. He says, shall I take my meat and my bread and my water and give to somebody? Who is he anyway? When that word got back to David, David looked at his men and he said, strap on your swords. He said, in vain, I'm giving you my translation, okay? He said, in vain, I've kept everything this man has. That he would address me that way. That he would speak to me that way. That he would dishonor me and act like I'm a reproach. He said, there's not going to be one of his men that lived to see daylight, But in the meantime, the servants of Nabal do not run to Nabal. Why? Why don't the servants go to Nabal and say, you don't realize what you've done. You you don't understand what's going on. Because they know that going to Nabal is going to be a waste of breath. Listen to what Proverbs 23 and 9 says. Don't waste your breath on fools for they will despise the wisest advice. Who do they go to? They go to a woman that's intelligent. They go to a woman that has wisdom. And they go to a woman that has discretion. And they tell her what happened. He said, our master. He said, David sent men to us and asked something from him. And he said he railed against them. He's insulted them. And and David had done nothing. He, He was a wall of protection to us. He'd been there for us. And he never stole from us. He never threatened our lives. He was a safeguard for us. And he didn't acknowledge him. He, he insulted him. And Abigail does not go to Nabal. She does not go to seek advice of the one that she made a vow to. Because she won, she made the vow to. She didn't want to vow to to begin with. So what she does is she grabs some stuff. She gets 200 clusters of figs. She grabs some wine. She gets some cake. She kills five goats. And she takes them prepared to meet David when she gets to where David's already got his sword strapped on, he's riding in. And Abigail sees him coming and she jumps off that donkey. And she bows low before him. And she said, upon me, upon me be this transgression. She, how many times When we're a part of something that messes up, we tend to point the finger to the one that messed it up. What she does is she says, it's my fault. Let this be on me. Let it be on me. And this is what she said. I didn't see your men come. I didn't know that they had come into the camp. As a matter of fact, listen to her words. This is 1 Samuel 25, starting with verse 25. She had told David, don't regard Nabal. He's he's a scoundrel. And she says, now watch what she says. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. And here's a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me. I hope you get that. Say it with me. Please forgive me. Isn't it something how quick she is to ask for forgiveness from a crime she didn't commit. It's just that she's connected to him. What's that remind you of? I can tell you what it reminds me of when it came to Christ. The Bible said that he was numbered among the transgressors. What's that mean? It means that he counted himself there with them. He did not separate himself and say, they deserve to die. I ought to be free. He cried out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Here she cries out, forgive me. Everybody say it again. Forgive me. Think about how many, how, think about how much trouble we could have stopped in our lives if we would have been willing to quickly say, forgive me. Think about the heartache you could have vo- avoided if you would have just said, forgive me. Well, pastor, you don't understand because it wasn't my fault. I mean, Debbie's the one that started it. Why should I have to say for, no, no, no. Five words, eight words that change everything. I'm so. Come up here. Speak right here. Eight words that can save a relationship. What are they? I'm sorry. You're, well, you're forgiven. I was wrong. It's okay. And please forgive me. I do. Amen. Do you get what I'm saying? But the truth is, is if I feel like she's the one that's always got to say it, then she's going to develop an attitude toward me because I'm never willing to give in. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say it's my turn. Go ahead, I'm not going any place until you do. <laughs> Are you ready? Come on, say it. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say it's it's my turn. It's it's my turn. You 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 said it last time. It's my turn. Look at her, Lisa. Say it's my turn. Oh, she, I did. she said it is. She said it is. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. Sometimes you just got to hang on. And even when you're doing what's right, sometimes you're greeted with what's wrong. But doing what's right should never be predicated on how it's greeted. It ought to always be done because it's the right thing to do. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to do what's right, even when I'm wrong. It's not hard to do what's right when you're right, is it? But it, when you're wrong, it's hard to grab hold of it and lock into it. And so this is what she told David. She said, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Now, now watch what she speaks to David. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. You can tell by her words how she felt about the mess she was in. Don't regard him. You know he's a fool. And she leans toward David. Not asking for mercy for Nabal, but assuming the transgression herself. That's what Jesus did for us at Calvary. He had done nothing worthy of crucifixion. But the Bible said that he was made sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so she speaks. When, when she ran to meet David, why do you think she went? Why not pack up your kids and head the other direction? Well, I don't guess she had any children by Nabal. It's not recorded. She did. Why not just pack your bags and take off? Avoid the disaster. Because running from problems never make problems go away. There comes a time you've just got to face it. Everybody say, I need to face it. She also, unlike Nabal, regarded David. She knew David. She talked about, if you read that story, you'll find out that she speaks to David about men that were seeking his life. She knew that Saul was hunting him. At this point in David's life, he had not transgressed. There was no Bathsheba at this point. But David was willing to extend mercy. Could that be why he found mercy when he needed it? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Can I put something in plain English for you? The way you judge others is the way I'm going to judge you. Wow. God, help me show mercy. Because when it comes time for me to stand before him, I want to find that mercy. David receives the gift from her. He says, the Lord bless you, for you've kept me from exacting revenge. And David blesses her, and he goes his separate way, and Abigail goes home. When she goes home, she finds Nabal drunk, throwing a big party, and he is drunker than... Well, never mind. She doesn't say anything to him. Because she knows it would be useless to say anything to him in that condition. So she waits till the next morning, and when she goes up to Nabal and she tells him how close he came to becoming a dead man, how close he came to being the responsible for the, for the execution of his entire family, he had a stroke. The Bible said that his heart became like a stone, and 10 days later, he died. If you do what's right, God will always rescue you. I said, if you do what's right, God will always rescue you well, how is that a rescue? I mean, right now at this point, I mean, she's just, you know, now she's a widow and, and what's she going to do? No, 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 no. You you need to understand something. That God is always waiting to ride in on a white horse. <laughs> that God is always waiting to come to your side. When word got to David that Nabal had died, David praised God and said that the Lord has taken vengeance on my enemy. I didn't have to lay my hand on it. You be still and know that he's God. God will handle the situation. Just, just, just let him do it. So David immediately sends men to Abigail. This guy hadn't been cold for 24 hours, man. He rides in, sends men to Abigail, and says, Hey, Abby, David told us to come and ask you if you'd marry him. She is so Grief stricken, she is. She is. She is mourning the loss of her husband, and she's in such a dilemma that she looked up and said, "Woohoo!" She said, uh, "Look, man, marry him. I'd be glad just to wash his servants' feet." And she packed her bags and off she went. I'm telling you that God. Is a good God. You say, well, Pastor, what's what's I mean, what, what does any of this stuff have to do with us? Well, my friend, we like Abigail have received a proposal of marriage. In the ninth chapter of Matthew, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. In the 11th chapter of Matthew, he he presents the proposal. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What's that saying? What's he saying? He's saying, you say yes to me and I'll take care of you. He committed his vow to us in Hebrews 13, when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. What's he saying? He, he, he is saying, I will. Everybody say it with me. I will. So he demonstrates, he doesn't just say, I will at Calvary's cross. He demonstrates it. Romans 5 and 8 said that God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember his prayer in the garden not my will. But your will be done. So when he goes to Calvary, what's he saying to all of us that are sinners? He's saying, I will. The question is being asked, will you take these sinners to be your own? He says, I will. Before, while we, before we ever said, yes, before we ever said, I do, he made his decision. God commended his love toward us and that Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, I will. So the question today is, what will you say to him? What's your decision going to be? And let me just fill you in. Saying nothing is the same as saying no. When I asked Debbie if she would marry me, if she had not responded to me, I promise you I would have never been making wedding preparations. But when she responded to me and said, I will, it made me happy. Also made me a little nervous. <laughs> See, I'd never, I'd never done that before. I'd never been there before. And, but how many of you are glad that God don't get nervous? <laughs> he, he's never wrung his hands and paced heaven's floor wondering if he was going to be able to take care of you. He's never w- wondered about how am I going to pay these bills. As a matter of fact, Jesus paid it all in full at Calvary's cross. Aren't you glad for that? Come on, give my a hand clap of praise. So, this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. I want you to stand. Look, I want to be like Abigail, not like Nabal. And by the way, James is not like Nabal. So just to clear that up, it's no reflection on his character at all. He's like Abigail. I want to be like Mm -hmm. Abigail and run after, I mean, there's no thinking about it. There's no, well, could you come back in three days and I'll make a decision? There's no, oh, I I, I don't know, I, there's no way I could, I mean, my husband just, you know, he's just gone. And look, she was in a situation she didn't want to be in to begin with. Any of you ever been there? I'm not talking about your marriage, I'm talking about in life. Have You ever been there in a situation you didn't want to be in to start with. Man, I was a kid, I, I, out with a bunch of guys, ended up in a cemetery with everybody popping tops, and they passed one to me. You have to understand something, I never drank. Even when I was, before I served God, I never drank. I'm not saying I never tasted it. I'm saying I was never given to it. They're putting pressure on me. I'm the only guy there that's not drinking. They're putting pressure on me, come on, come on. I remember walking to the front of that vehicle and praying, God, I don't know how I got myself in this situation. But I promise you, if you get me out of it, Amen. I'll never get myself in another situation like this again. So there, there, here, I, and, and I, I, don't, I can't explain it. It was like in, in that cemetery when I was in a place I shouldn't have been. God showed up in a way I didn't deserve. All of a sudden, I felt a boldness come over me. And I looked at them and I said, guys, I don't drink. I, I don't even like it. Maybe you don't understand peer pressure. But maybe you can remember to the point where you did. They said, oh, come on, come on, you'll get used to it. And I looked at him, I said, why should I get used to something I don't like? Pressure kept coming. And then I'm telling you, it was like a light flooded my soul. And I looked at him, I said, guys, you need to understand something. I don't have to drink to prove I'm a man so many times we feel the pressure so strong and so hard that we capitulate to it now your story may not be my story you may have loved it you know and and so I'm just sharing my story there were things I'm sure that I loved to do that wouldn't have appealed to you at all so we each have our own cross to bear but this is my story. When I got out of that place, I remember laying my head on a pillow. Look, I didn't get home till like 4 o'clock the next morning. I remember laying my head on a pillow. And I felt so undeserving but I felt so loved all at the same time I don't know if you can understand what I'm saying or not but what I'm saying is this is he didn't show up because of how good I had been he showed up because I asked him I needed help and I asked him, would you stand with me today? So this is what I want to do. I'm going to do something a little unusual today. I'm going to ask you that if you say, Pastor, I I want to have that spirit that Abigail had. I, I want to run after God I think about what Paul said and it's helped me so many times in my life but if you study the seventh chapter of Romans and this is the apostle Paul the man that's responsible for writing nearly two-thirds of the New Testament he makes this statement and he said can I put it in plain English for you he said you know every time I try to do good I end up doing evil so I don't do the good that I would do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. And he, he said, uh, and, I, 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 and it confuses me. He said, and, and, but I, find, I found this law that's present that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And I'm, a dile- I'm in a dilemma. And I cried out and I prayed, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And the answer came back. I, I thank God uh, through Christ Jesus. <laughs> oh, I found somebody there. That- can rescue me I found someone that can save me and he said I will so this is what I want you to do today if you say pastor I want to run after God the way that David ran after Abigail I want you to run to the front of this building real quick we're going to do something a little bit different but just come running down here real quick real quick I'm not saying you're away from God. I'm saying if you want to run after God, come down here. I'm going to give you a moment. Come on in, come on in. No, I'm not going to do anything to you so you don't have to be afraid. Come on, come on down, come on down. I want everybody that wants to be down here to be down here. Those of you that are still in your seat, I'm going to let you stay in the building for, for this wedding ceremony. Are, are you ready? Okay, hold it. Hold it just a second. Give me, give me a bridal march. It's the first time in my life I ever get to be a bride. <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Come on, stand up straight. The Bible said, for the bride hath made herself ready. You need to get ready for what God already has ready for you. <laughs> Let me say it one more time. Come on, say it with me. I'm getting ready, get ready. for what God already, God already has ready for me. So, <laughs> straighten up a little bit okay are you ready here we go if if you're ready if your answer to the proposal is yes then i want you to stretch your hands to heaven and please repeat after me i and then fill in your name i rick mcneely don't say my name say yours you ready one more time i rick mcneely take jesus To be the Lord and Savior of my life. To have and to hold from this day forward. When I have little and when I have much. When I feel strong and when I feel weak. When I'm in the mountain and when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear any evil. Because I know you're with me. You'll never leave me or forsake me, even when death comes for me in Jesus' name. Come on and give my a hand clap of praise in this house today. When you walk out of here today, I want you to go and tell everybody you renewed your vows. Now, for those of you that have never been married, you're going to have to explain that. But renewed, now think about it. Think about how important it is. Debbie's mom, when they'd been married 25 years, she and her dad had been married 25 years, they wanted to renew their vows. Nothing doing, they were going to renew their vows. Her dad was kind of like, okay, whatever. You know, he was, I mean, it wasn't like he was real excited about getting dressed up, but he, they, they renewed their vows and it was a special thing. And then when they were married 50 years, they renewed their vows again. So I was in the wedding when they were doing the 25-year renewal. I was doing the wedding when they did the 50-year renewal. And what a blessing, what an honor it was for me to be able to speak over them who had given themselves to one another in good times and bad, through sickness and health. I'm telling you, it means something to God. When we hold our hand up and hang on to God and say, God, no matter what I'm going through, I refuse to let go of you. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house today. So look, if you need, if, you, if you're if you up here and you've got a special need, you need prayer, I want you just to stretch your hand toward heaven. We're gonna pray for you right now. Prayer partners, come on, stretch your hand toward heaven. I want you to speak it out to God what it is you're asking for. Are you you doing that right now? Speak it out to God. Father, we come to you right now asking you to look at each hand that's risen and search each heart. God, and I'm praying, Father, that you'll supply their need according to your riches and glory. I thank you because I understand your commitment to us. God, I thank you because you always Hold up your end of the vow. Thank you, Father, for healing. Thank you for setting free. Thank you for your deliverance, and thank you for your salvation. And today, we shout a big amen because we believe and know that the answer has already been sent. And everybody say amen. Amen. Come on, let's give them a hand clap of praise in this house. I'm going to ask Deb if she would. Will you dismiss us in a word of prayer, and then? Lord, go ahead we thank you for this time, God, in your presence, Father. We declare your greatness, your glory, Father, your protection, and bring us back to the appointed time tonight, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Don't forget the encounter service. Come expecting to have an encounter with God. We call.